beautiful It's got my mind on you And everywhere I turn is a reminder Morning. Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Welcome to this Bible lesson. Who is Jesus Christ? At Barah Ministries, we know this truth that Jesus Christ is God. John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3 introduce him. In the beginning, not really a beginning. Why? Because God has no beginning and no ending. So when the Bible says in the beginning, there, it's not really a beginning. But in the beginning, it's just something for human understanding, was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. It's the Greek words whole logos. Logos is a really important word in Greek because it's a reference to God the Son. In the beginning was the Word, whole logos, the Lord, God the Son. And the Word... The Lord, God the Son, was with God the Father, and the Word was God. And what does that mean, that the Word was God, that the Lord, God the Son, was God? It means that he is co-equal to God the Father. He is co-infinite like God the Father. He is co-eternal like God the Father, no beginning and no ending. He is the exact same in essence as God the Father. John 1, 2. He... The Lord, God the Son, Holagos, existed in the beginning with God the Father. John 1, 3, here's the payoff. All things came into being through the Lord, God the Son, and apart from him as the creator, nothing came into being that is coming to being. Nothing you have, nothing you are, nothing you will ever be was not sponsored by God the Son. He's the one. John chapter 1 verse 14 tells us the most amazing thing about him. And it describes what makes him different. The Word, the Lord, God the Son, became flesh, taking on the form of a human being as Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. And he lived among us for 33 years. That's why my number, and you see me in any sport, my number is 33 why? In honor of him. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten one from the source of God the Father, full of grace and full of truth. And because Jesus lives, we can have a relationship with him, the most important relationship of our lives. Now, why does Barah Ministries exist? At Barah Ministries, we make a difference by introducing people to the Lord by teaching the Word of God verse by verse 
from the Lord's perspective and not from man's perspective. Barah Ministries exists for the benefit of Christians, those of us who want a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with the Lord through the study of his word. And why do we study the word of God? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 tells us it's because the word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. The word of God is piercing, dividing the soul and the spirit. One of the few places that you will see it articulated that there is a soul and a spirit in human beings is in the Bible. Dividing the joints and the marrow, and the word of God is the critic of thoughts and intents of the heart. The word of God will, when you study it, will shine a mirror on your life and will tell you what you're doing that's on target and what you're doing that's off target so that you can make adjustments. The Bible is described by the world, though, as fiction, simply a rehash of other similar stories throughout the ages. Here's an excerpt from the lies of the world concerning our Lord and his word. It's from an article, The Bible is Fiction, a collection of evidence. It says the story of Jesus Christ is not even remotely original. It's nothing more than a collection of bits and pieces from dozens of other stories that came long before he did. They're acknowledging that what they're saying here is that Jesus Christ only existed during the 33 years he was on earth. So you immediately know that this is a Sukikos man writing this. This is a natural man. Why? 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural man does not understand the things of God the Holy Spirit, and their foolishness to him, because they are spiritually appraised. This is not a person who appraises things spiritually. So when you start reading stuff from people that is supposedly of a spiritual nature, that's the first thing you've got to ask yourself. Is this being written by an unbeliever or a believer? Because an unbeliever doesn't know jack about Christ. Amen? They don't even, they can't comprehend Christ. And if it wasn't for the fact that Christ is looking for them to save them, they'd be in big, big trouble because they would not be looking to help themselves get saved by seeking him out. Continuing in this thing called the Bible is fiction, a collection of evidence. In addition, the Bible is taken largely and blatantly from previous stories that existed before Jesus Christ existed, and its contradictions are so massive that they defy belief. Why do stories like this exist? It's because God has an enemy, and the enemy traffics slander against God to create doubt with believable yet counterfeit assertions. See, counterfeit money is really close to real money. And that's why you have to worry about religion, because religion is really close. The best way for me to lie to you is to tell you something that is 90% true. And I hide the lie within the truth so that you don't notice. Because you get comfortable. You see a little bit of truth, and you say, okay, I'm comfortable. And then you don't really inspect. And that's not smart. Amen? you got to inspect. And so when you know the truth, you can inspect. Don't believe these counterfeits. Jesus Christ is God. He is not a story. And the Bible is his exact thinking, not fiction. And if you don't know this truth, you will be unable to spot the counterfeits. We implore you 
to always compare what you learn, both at Barah Ministries and in the world, with what the Bible says. This is not just an invitation. It's a responsibility on your part if you don't like being lied to. And one of the things that I discovered about myself is what hurts me this week. It's pretty good to finally figure that out after 66 years old. Amen? And you know what hurts me? Mirages. Do you know what a mirage is? You know, where you're crawling in the desert and you see something in the distance and you think it's a water station and it's not? When you get up there, it was just heat coming off the sand. I've been in a lot of relationships like that. I've been in marriages like that. I've had a lot of family members. They were just mirages. You know, and I thought we had a relationship just because I liked them. But you don't have a relationship just because somebody likes you. You don't have have a relationship because somebody's sitting in front of you. A lot of the relationships in your life are just mirages. People are pretending, and it doesn't come out until there's a crisis in the relationship, and then you see where people really stand. Amen? Yeah, they're gone. And that's one of the things I really like about what God has done with Barah Ministries, because he's got a lot of the counterfeits out of here. So we get to see. That's what I like about crisis. And I was thinking about that because I, I went back to the first season of The Amazing Race, and I'm starting to catch up because I, I missed the first 20 seasons of it, I think. But it's really interesting to see these couples who travel all around the world together and to see when the crisis comes, and the crisis is they're tired, they're hungry, they're in a place they've never been, like Thailand, which is crazy, or India, which is crazy, it is frenetic. And then who they really are comes out. All the weaknesses show up. And you find out real quick whether people are on your side or not. And you have to know. Because if you don't know, then it's just a mirage. And I'm tired of relationship mirages. You know, people who pretend to be on your side, and then as soon as there's a crisis, they're gone. Amen? So that's what you have to watch out for. So God has an enemy, Satan, whom God made the ruler of this world. First John, he is the sponsor of mirages. Amen? Now, 1 John chapter 5, verse 19 says this, We believers in Christ know that we are possessions of God the Father. And we also know that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The, the Greek says, lies in the lap of the evil one. The whole world lies in the lap of the evil one. And what is he doing? Deceiving them. Begging for their allegiance, deceiving them, using them, and tossing them to the curb. That's what he does. Well, Satan has no power over you, but the power you give him. And what Satan does is he targets your will. He sets traps. He serves up temptations. Yet you have to use your volition, your ability to choose to obey him. And when you sin, you choose to give your will to his deceitful and injurious schemes. And the funny thing about Satan is that you not only get credit for the sin, but you also get a bill for what you have done, and you get left lying in the gutter to ponder with guilt and shame the choices you have made. That's what he does. He tells you, hey man, do this Coke. Just take a little snort of Coke. You can't get hooked snorting Coke. Every junkie has gotten hooked with one little snort of Coke. That was the beginning. 
Every alcoholic started with one drink. That's Satan. And then who gets the bill? You do. You get to stand up in front. If you recover, you get to stand up in front of a group of people for the rest of your life and say, Hi, I'm Rory. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, I'm Rory. I'm a gambling addict. Hi, I'm Rory. I'm a sex addict. Hi, I'm Rory. I'm a, a drug addict or alcoholic. You, you get to do that for the rest of your life. Because he teaches you that you don't have any control. Good lesson. Sure, which I can learn it a different way. Sickening. Sorry, I'm having trouble hearing you. Yeah. There are a lot of people are. Don't worry. Siri said he's having a lot of trouble hearing me. A lot of people have a lot of trouble hearing me because this is the truth. T-R-O-O-F. If you're from the ghetto. If you're not from the ghetto, it's the truth. (laughs) Satan instigates the temptation, but you get the blame. That's sickening. Well, today's Bible lesson, no joke. Christ is raised from the dead. Christ is raised from the dead. What is resurrection? It's the established and irrevocable fact That the body we live in now, our human body, which we know is destined to become fertilizer for daffodils, will live beyond death in a transformed state. Spoiler alert, because this is the end of 1 Corinthians 15, verses 54 and 55. It says this, when this perishable, our human body, will have to put on the imperishable, a resurrection body. And this mortal, the human life, will have to put on immortality, eternal life. Then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. 1 Corinthians 15, 55. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Believers in Christ taunt death. We're not scared of death. We know that the soul once born never dies and we get to choose where it spends eternity. And we placed our faith in Christ so that we can spend eternity in heaven so we don't have to suffer God's wrath and spend eternity in the lake of fire. Amen? Amen. So that's what resurrection is all about. One day you will have a resurrection body. Now for some, the idea of resurrection from the dead is a joke. For Christians, it is the central, it is central to everything that the Lord is teaching us in the Bible, both for the Old Testament and the New Testament saints. And in today's lesson, Paul affirms that resurrection from the dead is no laughing matter. And then as we do every month, today we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper. All right, well, let's have some music. Happy Mother's Day. God is impressed with children who honor their parents. I don't believe you heard me, so I'm going to tell you again. God is impressed with children who honor their parents. What is honor? It is the demonstration of a high amount of respect for the worth of something. A demonstration of a high amount of respect for the worth of something. And I want you to ask yourself, when you talk to your parents, 
when you talk to your grandparents? Do, does your, do your words demonstrate a high amount of respect for their worth? Or are you smart, Alex? Do you think it's okay to talk disrespectfully to your parents? Do you think it's okay to disobey your parents? Do you think it's okay to reject your parents? Do you think it's okay to judge your parents, to think that they could be doing things differently? Because your parents are a gift to you from God. And honor is the way that you demonstrate that you value them. God thinks our parents are worthy of praise, even if we don't. No parents are perfect, but they are your parents. And they did play a role in bringing you here. So the Lord says in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 3, this. Children, obey your parents, which is pleasing in the Lord's sight. For this is the right thing to do. Ephesians 6, 2. Honor your father and your mother, which is a primary command with a promise attached to it. It's not the first promise with a command attached to it. It's a primary promise. There were actually other promises that were made before that. So honor your father and your mother, which is a primary command with a promise attached to it. What's the promise attached to it? Ephesians 6, 3. So that it may be well with you. And so that you may live long and prosperous lives on the earth. Whenever you see somebody that is pretty successful and prosperous, when you check the facts, you will find that they were probably really good to their parents. Honor. How would you be treating your parents if you love them unconditionally? is the question that we entertain on days like this. So happy Mother's Day. I was blessed with one of the most amazing women in the world whom I called Mama, a woman others called Dorothy. Well, here's a song for Mama from boys to men. It's a tradition here at Barah Ministries to honor our mothers with this song. And this is in honor of my mama and yo mama. Amen? (laughs) Here's a song for Mama, boys to men.
around for me Have always been around for me Even when I was bad You've shown me right from my wrong Yes, you did And you took up for me When everyone was down on me You always did understand You gave me strength to go Anything and no one else can do what you've done for me. You'll always be, you will always be the girl in my life. Ooh, mama, mama, you know I love you. You know I love you. Remember your mama? How long has she been gone? About 40 years. Yeah. My mom's been gone 23 years, and I, there's not a day that goes by that I don't think about her. And I don't like or understand children who are disrespectful to their parents. I just don't. I just don't get it. Not in word, not in deed. I don't get it. Because my mom played mom and dad. And quite frankly, because I was raised by women, I was soft as a kid. When I was a bat boy for the Chicago White Sox in 1972, I came home every day crying from games. Because I was around man energy for the first time. And... They would cut every other stitch in my pants, and then when I would sit down, my pants would split. They would nail my shower shoes to the floor. 
and I go get my shower shoes, couldn't get them off the floor. They would uh, walk around waving body parts in my face. Uh, during the first rain delay, they gave me a roll of toilet paper and told me to go cover up the foul line. And then when I looked back, they were laughing at me. They would take things that I had and break them into a million pieces with a baseball bat. And that was man energy. And I'd come home crying, and I didn't understand it. And the funny thing is, all right, so that's what happened on the outside. But what the funny thing was, it was what would happen on the inside. Uh, my mom would always tell me the same thing. Deal with it. What, do you think the world's going to be nice to you? You think everybody likes you? You need to toughen up. Every time. Do you know how hard that was for her? That's not a mom response. Mom responds, oh, my baby, what do you mean to my baby? I'll go up there and I'll, I'll talk to him. And believe me, if, if there were people mistreating me, my mom stepped up. You did not want to be at the wrong end of her when you were mistreating one of her cubs. But in the house, she was sending me a message all the time from her World War II generation mentality. Don't be soft. It made a difference. Because I ain't soft. That's for sure. And that song just, just reminds me of her so deeply in every way. And it reminds me of all the magnificent things about mama. It's one of the best words in the language. Mama. And all our moms aren't cool. Some of our moms are downright jerks. They're still mom. Amen? That's who we honor today. Our moms. Let us pray. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, thank you for the faithful few that you have gathered in this place called Barah Ministries. Thank you even more for the few among the few that you have called to lead this ministry. And thank you for how you are using us to have an impact on others. Father, help us to rid ourselves of the thoughts that our success in this ministry and in our lives is based on things we are doing. Remind us that we can do all things through you because you are the one who keeps on pouring the power into us. You're the one who keeps on strengthening us. Remind us that you are the one who keeps on working everything together for our good. Help us to honor you as the ultimate parent. Help us to take in your words, precious wisdom as food for our souls. And help us to make it a habit to pray so that our lives are guided by supernatural power and not by human power. We ask this through the power of God the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, no joke. Christ is raised from the dead. So we continue our study of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 with an introduction to section 3 of the chapter. And you remember that we're talking about sections one through four connecting to is the resurrection real? The whole chapter is about resurrection. But the first four sections, two of which we have covered, ask the question, is the resurrection real? So we'll study this section next week, but I just want you to have a chance to look at it. In chapter 15, 
Paul focuses on a central tenet of biblical Christianity, the resurrection of the dead. The members of the first century Corinthian church believed the gospel message, so they were believers in Christ. But they are pelted with questions from the philosophers of the society in which they exist, the Greek philosopher society, people who obsess with provocative questions as intellectual exercises, people who seek answers outside of the wisdom of the Bible. See, there's the wisdom of the Bible and there's the wisdom of the world. Is there a resurrection from the dead? They will ask, but they're really not asking a question. They're making a statement. There's no resurrection from the dead. That's just fiction. Well, uh, and then they go, when you give them something that makes sense to them, they, they go, yeah, but, but, but what if there's no resurrection from the dead? So they go to the bo- both extremes. First there isn't, but what if there isn't? And all they want you to do is to doubt what the Bible tells you is true. Well, last week we saw the domino effect of what would ha- we would have to believe if we rejected the resurrection from the dead. If there is not resurrection from the dead, then Christ isn't raised from the dead. And we just have another human martyr on, his hand, on our hands who went to a cross and gave up his life, but he's dead and in the ground and rotted. If there's no resurrection from the dead, Christianity is a hoax. And if you don't know what a hoax is, it's a practical joke that's being played on the, pu- on the public. <coughs> COVID. And uh, <laughs> if there's no resurrection from the dead, your pastor and God the Father are liars because we both have reported to you that Christ is raised from the dead. If there's no resurrection from the dead, you waste your time coming here every week. In fact, you have wasted your entire life thinking about God if there's no resurrection from the dead. But lucky for us, the hoax is on anyone who thinks there is no resurrection from the dead. They are the practical joke. Amen? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 to 28, here's what Paul has to say. He says, but now Christ has been raised from the dead. Everybody is, well, is there a resurrection from the dead? And what if there isn't? Paul says, there is a resurrection from the dead. It has occurred. He is risen. That's what we celebrated on Resurrection Sunday. The Christ, the Messiah, is the first fruits of those who are asleep. And we talked about the farm analogy, first fruits. That is the first part of the crop from a harvest. If there are first fruits in a harvest, then there will be other crops following shortly. Amen? Amen. Can you tell me who the other crops are? Y'all. Ye. Amen? King James. Ye. Are the rest of the harvest. 1 Corinthians 15, 21. For since by a man came spiritual death, by a man also came the resurrection. The Greek word anastasis, one of my favorite Greek words. So by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. And the resurrection of the dead is, uh, is, occurs because of the spiritual birth. Well, what does Paul mean exactly? 1 Corinthians 15, 22. For in union with Adam, all die spiritually. That's how you were born. You were born in union with Adam. You were spiritually dead. 
physically alive, spiritually dead, on the wrong side of a barrier, helpless and hopeless to do anything to get yourself across that barrier. That's how you were born. Now, because you're a believer, in union with Christ, all will be made spiritually alive. Why? Because God gives you the resurrection life. We are the born-again ones. They call us born-again Christians. That's redundant. Christians are born again, so you don't have to say it twice. Amen? 1 Corinthians 15, 23. But each of us, on the shepherd sheep team, each of us believers in Christ will be resurrected from the dead in his own order. God is organized and he does everything in order. What's first? The Christ as the first fruits is first. Then after that, those who are Christ's at his coming. And Christ said his coming is not a reference to the second coming of Christ. It's a, rep- a reference to the rapture. The rapture where, where the Lord will come on the clouds and pluck all of his believers off the earth. The exit resurrection of the church. And that's exonastasis in the Greek. Ex is out from. The out from resurrection is exonastasis, which is nicknamed the rapture. And the rapture of church-age believers is the next event, the next miracle, the next major event in divine history. And it could happen this afternoon, but I hope it doesn't, because I'm golfing this afternoon. I'd like to get through that. Amen? Because here's what God would do. I would hit the ball, and it would be going a par three, and it would be going straight right toward the flag, and I'm thinking, this could be it. This could be my hole-in-one. And then, poof, I'm in the clouds meeting the Lord in the air, and I'm saying, Lord, what happened? He said, no, it don't matter, man. (laughs) It does matter. Did it go in? Look, you're in heaven. Don't worry. No, I want to know. Is there golf here in heaven then? (laughs) What is love? (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly what I would tell him. Don't hurt me like that, God. Actually, I had a dream the other night that I was playing golf with God. And so he hits a ball, and it hooks, it makes a mean hook to the left and goes right in the water. And he walks right out on the water to play his next shot. And this guy is standing next to me and says, who does that guy think he is, Jesus Christ? I said, no, he is Jesus Christ. Who he thinks he is is Tiger Woods. First Corinthians fifteen twenty four. So <laughs> So Christ as the first fruits is resurrected from the dead. Then the church age believers are resurrected from the dead. And what comes next? First Corinthians fifteen twenty four. And then comes the end. When the Christ hands over the kingdom to God the Father when he has abolished all rule and all authority and all power. So when does that happen? So there's the rapture of the church. Then there's the tribulation period, a seven-year period, which is the worst period in human history. Then there's the second coming of Christ. Then he reigns on the earth for a thousand years. And then this. Then comes the end when the Christ hands over the kingdom. The world as we know it. 
That's beautiful. <laughs> then comes the end when the Christ hands over the kingdom to God the Father, when he has abolished all rule, all authority, and all power. 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty five. For Jesus must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty six. The last enemy that will be abolished is the destroyer of the body, death. Death has no power over the resurrected ones. Death has no power over Christ. 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty seven. For the Christ has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it's evident that he is accepted who put all things in subjection. In other words, there's the subjector and there is the subjected and he is the subjector. 1 Corinthians 15, 28, when all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself also will be subjected to the one, God the Father, who subjected all things to him, so that God the Father may be all in all. Soft. Well, we look forward to seeing the perspective of what all these things mean next week. When we return from the break, we'll take the offering and then we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper. Take a five-minute break. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life I've been told I belong. At the end of the line, will all the other not quite? Will all the never get it right?
Welcome back. Hey, I, I bet you guys, today's Bible lesson, no joke, Christ is raised from the dead. No joke, Christ is raised from the dead. I bet you guys didn't know that June is a mom. Did you guys know that? June is a mom. She's got two kids, and one of them is hearing impaired, and so June knows sign language. Did you know that? Yeah, just a little tidbit about June. June? June? 
She called me a dummy. <laughs> That's not right. <laughs> All right. So today's Bible lesson. <laughs> no joke. Christ is raised from the dead. Well, King David asks an interesting question in Psalm one sixteen twelve. He says, what shall I give to the Lord in repayment for all his goodness toward me? What can we, mere men, give the almighty, all-powerful, all-sufficient God? The Lord wants us to give of those things which he has gifted us, our time, our talent, and our treasure. The offering is the treasure part. It is your chance to redirect the funds God has given to you for the benefit of others. We give with confidence knowing that what we give, God will multiply. Isaiah chapter 55 verse 11 says this, So will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. We give with confidence, knowing that what we give, God will, repl- will replace. We give with confidence, knowing that God always multiplies, and he always replaces, not equally, but in abundance, in your favor. So as believers in Christ, we don't have a scarcity mentality when we give, because that does not reflect the Lord's mind. We have an abundance mentality. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with one of his always inspiring offering messages. Good morning. My name is Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be a deacon for Bra Ministries. I'm blessed and anointed by the Lord Jesus Christ. But Barah Ministries is a worldwide Christian church, and this is a place for real people who want to listen to a real pastor teach the real truth in the Word of God. And something I've always been interested in is just the fact that God is a triune God. It's just one of those things that's kind of hard to wrap your head around, and it's fun to think about in my, in my mind. And you just think about all the parts, you know, even like Jesus, his birth, his death, and what made him triune was his resurrection, which is what made him different from every other man on earth, every other human being. And you think about believers. Believers are triune. We have a body, we have a soul, and we have a spirit. The difference between us is God has zero deficiencies, but we have a deficiency. We have the flesh acting in us. And that flesh has, it has a passion that fights our passion in our body, that fights our passion in our spirit. And so we have to be aware of that. And, you know, it's, it's interesting in life, um, you know, the Bible even, it has a triune effect when you think about it. It's got a cover, and it's got pages. But what separates it from other books is it's supernatural. It has a power. It has God's power. When, you can, when you're a believer, you can see that supernatural power. You can read that supernatural power, and you see it, and you believe it, and you feel it in your life. You know, and we think our choices, our choices are triune because they don't just affect us. They affect us and those around us and our relationships, but also it affects our relationship with God. Our every choice has an impact on our relationship with God. And it's real easy to shut that God part off in your life and go for self. And that's why at the offering it's important to, you know, to think about those things. Your choices at the offering affect other people, not just yourself. 
And, you know, the offering itself is triune. You give your time, your talent, and your treasure. Those things, you know, all those things matter to us. They take a lot of hard work to get, and God knows that, and he's aware of it. And you even think of moms. Moms are triune, right? They're moms, but they're also daughters. And they're also sisters. You know, they're more than just one person, but they're also themselves, you know. Moms always get lost, you know, like, because there's so much of a mom that they lose who they are. You know, their life is still in there. They need to have that life going. I mean, especially today, those moms need to take advantage of that. And, you know, go get facials, manicures, anything you can, massages, you know, have fun. So, I mean, you think about moms, they love, they provide, but they also defend, you know. And we watch a show, it's called The Mitchells vs. The Machines. I don't know if you've seen it yet, but I recommend it. It's hilarious, parents and kids. But it's basically this family that's just like a no-good family, they're... Everybody looks down on them. They're not the perfect family. They're just the misfits. The kid's kind of a nerd. The girls are all artistic. And anyway, through the whole movie, the, uh, the kids have to kind of fight these machines. And the mom is very nice, and she's very laid back. But something, somebody crosses one of the kids, and a switch turns. And she turns from nice mom to, like, super ninja mom. And she's slicing and dicing and killing people. And these robots that are real lethal are, like, running from her because she's just so, so ferocious. And... You know, that's how moms are. They really, they wear a lot of hats. And so let's be thankful for them and let's be thankful for Jesus because, you know, he's triune and he's given us that triune lifestyle as well. And so let's engage in that. Let's, let's have passion in our, in our spirit, in our, in our, um, our spiritual gifts. And so, um, you know, even pastor, he's triune, you know, and basically in his dislike for children. He dislikes them. He doesn't understand them. And the difference is he wants to punch and injure them as well. <laughs> so, you know, stay back. You know, always check your six with him around. <laughs> but, you know, so just remember that, you know, you're giving at the offering not only affects us here, but it affects everybody out there. And it's a supernatural point for you to worship God and honor God by your giving. So we always thank you for your giving. And thank you, Pastor, for, you know, always delving into the Bible for us and hurting your back by sitting there for long hours. We, really, we do appreciate it. And I just want to end with my verse, which is kind of a reinforcement of the triune God. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the unconditional love of God the Father and the fellowship of God the Holy Spirit be with you all. So thank you very much.
Welcome back. The Lord's Supper celebration. At the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ taught us what is acceptable to him. At the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ taught us what is acceptable to him. So welcome to the Lord's Supper celebration. It's a time when believers in Christ set aside time to reflect on the deep, intimate, and personal relationship we have with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As we reflect, we look back to the cross, an intimate moment in divine history. And we remember the Lord's words in John chapter 15, verse 13, where he said this, Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. And as believers in Christ, we are his friends. And the Lord has laid down his life for us at the cross. He was buried And on the third day, he was resurrected from the dead to prove that he is who he says he is, the sovereign God of the universe who holds all things together by the word of his power. And every month we obey the Lord's command in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26, which says this, As often as you eat this bread representing his body, and as often as you drink the cup representing his blood as part of the Lord's Supper celebration, you proclaim as a reality... And you announce the significance of the Lord Jesus Christ's death on a cross and his resurrection from the dead until he comes again at the second coming. In this sacred celebration, we commune with the Lord. That's why we call it communion. We enjoy the elements, the bread and wine, and as we do, we remember our dependence on the Lord Jesus Christ, both for our physical sustenance and for our spiritual sustenance, and we always have enough of both. As we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we ask ourselves in reflection, what did the Lord Jesus Christ do for us at the cross? And this month we acknowledge that at the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ taught us what is acceptable to him. So here's a quiz question for you. As an imperfect human being, are you acceptable to God? As an imperfect human being, are you acceptable to God? Well, the answer to the question is yes or no. But before you answer, consider what the Bible, uh, that the Bible calls your acceptance into question. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, All creatures have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sin is imperfection. God can't tolerate imperfection. Romans chapter 3 verse 10 says, It is written, there is no creature who is righteous, not even one. And so God can't tolerate unrighteousness. First Corinthians chapter 15 verse 22 says, All in union with Adam at physical birth, and that's every human being, that comes to the earth, are set to die the second death in the lake of fire. Ouch. In fact, there's only one human being that has ever been acceptable to God. Jesus, the Christ, the Jewish Messiah. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 say this, My little children, this is John uh, writing, You divinely loved, born-again ones. I, John, am writing these things to you, the things here in the Bible, so that you may not sin. 
Oops, but we do. So John says, and if anyone does sin, and of course you do, we have an advocate. What's an advocate? This is the Greek word parakletos, someone who speaks in your defense. If anyone sins, and of course we do, we have an advocate who speaks in our defense with God the Father, Jesus, the Christ, the only righteous one. First John 2, 2. And Jesus, the Christ himself, is the propitiation. He is the satisfier of God the Father's righteousness demands for our sins as believers in Christ, and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world, all mankind, including unbelievers. So I ask again, as an imperfect human being, are you acceptable to God? To be acceptable to God, you must be perfect. Are you perfect? The answer to the question is yes or no. Jesus, the Christ, is acceptable to God because he's perfect. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says this, We don't have a high priest in Jesus Christ who cannot sympathize with our weakness as human beings. We have a high priest who has been tempted in all things, just as we are, yet he is without sin. Jesus, the Christ, never responded in a wrong way to temptation. If he had responded a wrong way to temptation just once, if he had sinned just once in 33 years, you could not be saved because an imperfect God could not save you because God the Father cannot tolerate anyone who is unrighteous. Anyone who is imperfect. Jesus had zero room for mistakes, yet he endured maximum temptation. So I ask a final time. As an imperfect human being, are you acceptable to God? The answer is yes. Why? For one and only one reason. The Lord made you acceptable to God the Father through what he did for you at the cross. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Look at this in detail. Look at what really happened. For by the agency of God the Father's grace, there is the policy that God has for mankind. Grace. The opposite of that is works. For the, by the agency of God's grace, you, believers in Christ, have been saved, your so great salvation done in the past with the results that you're saved now and forevermore. There's a past, present, and future to your salvation. Ephesians 2.8b, through faith in Christ for salvation, by you placing your confidence in the object of your faith, the Christ. And that grace and that faith and that salvation are not from the source of yourselves. All three of those are gifts from God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. I'm sorry, Ephesians 2, 9. So that being saved is not as a result of your works you have done in self-righteousness, so that no one may may boast about saving himself 
or contributing in any way to his own salvation. imperfect human being you are acceptable to God because you have accepted what God has done for you Romans chapter 3 verse 21 says this but now after that stunning indictment in Romans chapter 3 apart from the law another principle entirely the righteousness that comes from God which has been made clearly visible being witnessed to by the Mosaic law in the sacrificial offerings and being witnessed to by the Old Testament prophets in direct statements. That's how you are acceptable to God because he gives you his righteousness. God gives believers in Christ the gift of righteousness once and for all time at the moment of salvation. Through the cross and righteousness, you get his perfection And that makes you totally acceptable to God the Father. Oh, but after salvation, you keep on sinning. Well, Satan, the enemy of God, steps in and tells us that because we keep on sinning, we need to redeem ourselves. Somehow, we need to make it up to God because we have been sinning. We need to feel sorry. We need to feel guilty. We need to feel shame. We need to feel undeserving. We need to feel unworthy. We need to add something to the finished work of our Lord at the cross. The place where he paid in full for our sins and for the opportunity for our so great salvation. Imagine this. The Lord Jesus Christ creates a cake called manna cake. It has one ingredient and the cake is absolutely perfect. He brings in three human beings to the divine bakery to taste this perfect cake. Every one of these human beings would suggest that something needs to be added to the cake. You know, to change it up, to make it a little better. Amen? Every one of you would do that. The manna cake is an analogy for your salvation. It has one ingredient. What Christ did at the cross, his single sacrifice was good for all time. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 11 to 13 say this, every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Hebrews 10, 12. But Jesus having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time at the cross, sat down at the right hand of God the Father, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. See, as human beings in our own power, there are no good works we can do to add what the Lord, to what the Lord has done at the cross. Here's a quiz for you. Okay, so let's say that by your works 
you could be 99.9% acceptable to God. Let's say that by your works, you could be 99.9% acceptable to God. And here's what I mean by that. What I was thinking about a lot is sin this week. And I was thinking, you know, it would be so nice if I could stop sinning. Because when I sin, I'm doing something that is immoral. So what do human beings always do when they're being immoral? If they have a spiritual life, they want to be moral, right? They, they say, if I could just stop sinning, I would be more acceptable to God. And so they pendulum swing from immorality to morality. And let's say that I could be successful at that. Let's say that I could be 99.9% acceptable to God because of what I did. How would God see, what number would God attribute to my works? Zero. (laughs) Zero. You see the trick bag that we're in as human beings? We're always thinking that if I could just stop sinning, I would be more acceptable to God. And God would see that as a zero because you did it. Because nothing you do could ever be good enough. Everything you do is imperfect and imperfection could never be acceptable to God. And see, that's what religion teaches you. Religion teaches you that, okay, you sin. I know. You have an amazing grasp of the obvious. I do it a lot. Well, you got to make up for it. You got to do a punishment and make up for it to God so that you can become acceptable to God. Okay, well, I did the punishment. Am I acceptable to God? Uh Uh-huh, until you sin again. Well, then you get tired of that. You say, well, look, I'm sinning all the time, so I better go study. I better learn the law because I want to be right. I don't want to be wrong. And so then you start being right. I was watching uh, The Amazing Races. I was telling you there were two pastors on, uh, uh, a man and his wife, and they were married, and they were both pastors. And they were in a group situation, and there were people who were drinking, and they were swearing. And he, he spoke to them about swearing. And he had to, one of the things that they had to do in, one of the tests they had to do in Brazil is they had to go into a speakeasy and to look for a woman who had a headdress on that matched a feather that they had in their packet. And when they went in, you know, the Brazilian ladies, they, they don't really care much about bathing suits. A bathing suit to a Brazilian woman is, you know, let me just pull a string off of this. And that's a, that's a bathing suit to a Brazilian woman, right? So they go in and he's, oh my goodness, I've never been in a place like that before. Oh, wow, pastor, you are so moral. That's amazing. All that morality that you have, calling people on their swearing, that is so good. And God gives it a credit score of zero. 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 
And what do you do when you walk yourself up to onto the pastular pendulum, uh, up onto the pastor pedestal? The people that let you walk yourself up there can't wait to bash you off the pedestal and say, ah, look what you did. And you know what I would say to them if they say, oh, look what you did. I would say, congratulations. You've learned 5% of it. Sure am glad you don't know the other 97% of it, 94.9% of it. Because if you knew that, if you're offended by that 5%, you would really be offended by the other 94.9%. See, the people who are moral, they never think they're doing anything wrong. They think that their works and their observing of others and their looking down their nose at everybody is just perfect. It's a zero. It's a zero. That's what we talked about in systematic theology. Oh, well, you know, if I sin, I'm out of fellowship with God. But then when I confess my sins, and, and confession is never private in the Bible. It's always public. But they're talking about private confession. If I just confess my sins, then I'm back in fellowship with God. And God gives it a score of zero. zero. The only thing that cleanses sin is Christ's blood, period. And if you don't know that, you don't even deserve to be Christian. Honestly, anybody who doesn't know that doesn't even deserve to be Christian. But we have a God of grace. And he knows that we're knuckleheads, and so he lets us be a part of it. He, he knows that everybody in his plan is a knucklehead. And he's not bothered by it at all. You know why? Because he loves us unconditionally. He loves us with a one-way love. But all that moral crap, that people are pulling, you're weak. You are not special because you're moral. And I would rather, if I had the choice to hang around somebody who was moral and somebody who was immoral, I would hang around the immoral person every time. That's why Jesus hung out with the prostitutes and the tax collectors, because they're real people. And what did he say? Because they asked him, why do you do that? He said, the people who are sick need a physician. That's why I hang out with them. And he who is forgiven much loves much. Mary Magdalene loved him. He exercised seven demons from her. She was a prostitute with demons that could simulate anything to please her customers. And he got them out. The people who, who, the pimps who were owning her were so mad. It's like, you ruined my, you ruined my finances. See? So that just hit me. You know, that I can finally discard the thought that if I get more moral, if I get my morality and my goodness and my good works up to 99.9% effectiveness, I still get a zero. 
in God's eyes. And that's the benefit of teaching the Bible and looking at the Bible from God's eyes rather than human eyes. Because if you look at the Bible from human eyes, you will think that your 99.9% means something. Your 99.9% of good works means jack. When does your work mean anything? Ephesians 2.10. Your work means something when you realize that you are God the Father's workmanship and that he created a series of divine works that you could walk in with his power. Then you mean something. Amen? So I hope that this lesson has freed you up as much as it frees me up. You can stop being phony. You can stop being moral. You can stop thinking that all your feeling sorry for your sins and all your penance and all your other crap means anything to God because it means zero. It gets you a zero score. But what gets you a hundred? The righteousness that comes from God at the moment of salvation, free gift that you didn't do jack for. That's what. Now, is that my opinion? Because how much, wait, my opinion. (laughs) My opinion. What score does my opinion get? You are so happy to say that. And you know what? If I hadn't taught this lesson, you thought it anyway. You did. I, I am the Rodney Dangerfield of this congregation. I get no respect. If I, if I sit up here and say, aren't I handsome? I'll teach. Huh? You know? You guys don't even care. If, if I'm not talking, you, if I'm not telling good stuff out of here, you ain't even listening. All right? So now it's over. My opinion gets a zero, but this gets a hundred. And all I want to do is come up here every week and tell you what's in here without adding one thing to it. Because anything I add to that gets what score? Zero. Zero. Goose egg. Nada. Nothing. Oh, you can revert. You can backslide. You could be reprobate. You could not do the 10 problem-solving devices and be out of the plan of God. That is crap. That is absolute works nonsense, which gets a score of zero. 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 Nothing. But if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and he gives you his righteousness at the moment of salvation, you get a hundred. And it's like manna cake. You ain't got to add nothing to it. You ain't got to make it better. You ain't got to change it up. Amen? All right. You're impressed with this lesson. Ain't you? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, you know why this lesson was so good? Because I got to have a 130 to write this. That's 30 off of 100. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. As human beings and our power 
there are no good works we can ever do to add what to, to what the Lord has done at the cross. But in the deep recesses of our darkened minds, we genuinely believe that one day we're going to be able to do something that makes us more acceptable to God. And we refuse to accept that we are already acceptable. That even if we think we are only 99.9% acceptable, the 0.01% that we add to God's plan negates everything the Lord did at the cross. See, if you think your salvation is based on believing in Christ plus something else, you aren't saved. I don't believe you heard me, so I'm going to tell you again. If you believe that you have to add something to faith alone in Jesus Christ for your salvation, you aren't saved. Because anything that you add to what the Lord did at the cross perverts, kills, distorts your salvation. You can't add anything to manna cake. If you do, it's no longer perfect. But there is grace. There's grace and there's human works. Human works pervert, kill, reject everything that Christ does on our behalf. No, thank you. No, thank you. And you know what? I don't care if you believe that or not. I don't. Because it ain't my opinion. Because my opinion would get a zero. But if you don't believe it, you better get your head in here. And you better check your teachers out. You better make sure your teachers are getting their stuff from here because this is the truth, and that's all. Amen? (laughs) When we genuinely let this established fact sink in, that we are acceptable to God because he makes us acceptable, when you let the absolute reality of that settle into yourself deeply then you can stop striving and start living cease striving and know that i am god is that one of your songs too (laughs) june wrote about 10 more songs i don't know whether you guys know this or not but june is depressed she is she she is she's not gonna tell you that she tells me that but When June is depressed, she writes songs. So she wrote about 10 songs this week. And one of them is Cease Striving, huh? Be still and know that I am God. How about it? Amen? Amen. You should see the look on all the people's faces when they realize what I'm saying, that you're depressed. You're going to get a lot of hugs today. (laughs) Just remember where they came from. I sent those over to you. Because she needs a lot of hugs. <laughs> yeah. And that was a big zero. Thank you, Deacon Denny. <laughs> I love you. That is just beautiful. So, <laughs> so thanks be to God the Father, who makes us acceptable through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, through the power of our amazing Holy Spirit. And thank the Lord for the cross, his all-sufficient sacrifice that makes us totally acceptable. Well, let's enjoy the elements.
bread and wine. The Lord gave us these things to remember him. And we'll enjoy the elements together in a few moments as we listen to the Lord's Supper song. But obeying the Lord's command, we keep on celebrating Christ regularly. We eat bread to remember who he is as a person. And who he is as a person is the one and only sovereign God of the universe. We drink wine to remember his work on the cross. And what did he do at the cross? It was a voluntary sacrifice that he made to deliver us from sovereignty to sin. And we remember with gratitude what God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ have done to save us. Luke chapter 22, verses 14 to 16. When the hour came and his crucifixion was set for the next morning, Jesus reclined at the table and his apostles reclined with him. And Jesus said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall not eat it again until all that it means is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when Jesus had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body which is being broken for you. Keep on doing this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, Jesus took the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant, the new testament in my blood. So let's keep on eating this bread, let's keep on drinking this cup, and let's do both to remember. Let this celebration encourage our hearts and our minds, filling us with awe, and reverence and gratitude. Let's keep on being transformed by the Lord's life, his death, his burial, his resurrection from the dead, his ascension to God the Father, his seating at the majesty's right hand, and by the nourishment we get from his word, which feeds our souls. So the communion song, everything God does is sufficient. Everything God does is enough. And God has you right where he wants you. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 reminds us that when we are powerful as Christians is at this time. The Lord has said to me, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for divine power is perfected in human weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Christians are powerful beyond words, because Christ's power indwells us. Here's Jeremy Camp to remind us with his song, Same Power. I can see the waters raging at my feet. I can feel the breath of those surrounding me. Sound of nations rising up, we will not be overtaken, we will not be overcome. I can walk down this dark and painful road, I can face every fear of the unknown, I can hear all God's children singing out, we will not be overtaken.
wondering why June is depressed. Anybody wondering that? I don't care if she wants you to know or not. You are, why do you guys ask stuff like that? You ought to know that June and I are very, very, very close friends and that if I'm not giving her grief, then she thinks I don't like her. So I, I can't come in here in any particular week and not give her grief, but I don't happen to be giving her grief right now. Do you know why she's depressed? She's depressed for the exact same reason that all of us get depressed. We get down because we don't feel like we're doing meaningful things. I've been feeling down lately for the last couple of weeks, too, because I feel like I have a lot of stuff inside that I can give to people, and I'm not giving it to enough people. It's easy to get down when you start thinking about that, but you know what you have to do? You had to get around people and start giving them stuff. Because as soon as you start giving, then everything changes. It's amazing. As soon as you start doing something productive, everything changes. So you start feeling good when you start writing them songs, didn't you? And you think that I want to pay five grand for you to record them, but I'm not. I'm not. Yeah, I am. 
<laughs> if they're good, they got to be good, though. If they depress me, then that ain't happening. <laughs> I love June Murphy. That's my friend. She's one of the best friends I've ever had in my life. We take care of June Murphy. You feel me? She's valuable to us and to me. We don't want her to be down. But we can't do everything for June. June's got to do some stuff for herself. June's got to get out of her house. There ain't nothing in there but a TV. TV will depress you. <laughs> TV and an air fryer, that is. <laughs> How's that air fryer working out? <laughs> All right, now I have completely told you everything that's happened. <laughs> I have completely told you the extent of her business. Give her some hugs for me today, will you please? You too. Give her give that girl some hugs. All right. The closing moments of our lesson are a reminder that God wants you. So this part of the lesson is for people who don't have a relationship with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. How would it be for you to know that there's someone who loves you so much that their love for you is almost unspeakable, yet you don't know who they are and you haven't met them? Actually, that is your situation if you don't have a relationship with the Lord. The creator of the universe created you. John chapter 1, verse 3 says this, All things came into being through the Lord God the Son, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being, and that includes you. And you can have a relationship with your creator because you are lost if you don't have a relationship with him. But the good news is that he is looking for you. Luke chapter 15, verses 4 to 7 say this, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, doesn't leave the ninety-nine sheep in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? Luke fifteen five, And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. Luke fifteen six. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Luke fifteen seven, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner, one unbeliever who repents, that is, changes his mind about having a relationship with Christ, than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. But there's bad news for sinners, unbelievers who don't have a relationship with Christ, you were born in a state of unrighteousness. All of us were. We are born physically alive and spiritually dead as ungodly, unrighteous unbelievers. It's not our fault, but it is our circumstance. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22, the Bible says, All who are in union with Adam at physical birth, and that is every human who comes to the earth, are set to die the second death in the lake of fire. But in the face of this bad news, there's good news. 
the sovereign God of the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ, the creator, provides a way for you to be saved. The good news is preached in what Christians call the gospel message. Let's see what happened when the gospel message was preached in a prison in first century Rome in Acts chapter 16, verses 25 to 34. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God from their jail cells, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Acts sixteen twenty six, And suddenly there came a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. Coincidence? I don't think so. Acts sixteen twenty seven. And when the jailer, a prison guard, awoke and saw the prison doors opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. In first century Rome, allowing prisoners to escape carried a penalty of instant execution for prison guards. Acts sixteen twenty eight. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying to the guard, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Acts 16.29 And the jailer called for the lights to be turned on and he rushed in and trembling with fear he fell down before Paul and Silas. Acts 16.30 And after the prison guard brought Paul and Silas out he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Evidently the guard had been listening to the spiritual songs Paul and Silas were singing. Acts 16.31, and Paul and Silas said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. Notice, Paul and Silas said, Believe in Christ alone and nothing else. There are no works of any kind necessary to be saved. It is simply faith expressed in the Lord Jesus Christ alone that is the ticket to eternal life. How did our jailer friend get saved? In a crisis, he recognized he needed a savior. He asked someone who knew what it took to be saved. Believers in Christ presented the accurate gospel message, and the jailer did what was suggested. It's that simple. But you don't have to wait for a crisis to be saved. You can do it now. Who is this God who saves you? The Apostle Paul describes the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. I, Paul, delivered to you as of first importance the gospel message I also received directly from God, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the Old Testament scriptures, and he was buried, and he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the Old Testament scriptures. It's worse news if you choose not to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 20 say this, For the wrath of God the Father is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and against the unrighteousness of unbelievers who suppress the truth by their unrighteousness. You don't want to have one single speck of unrighteousness in you when the Lord comes calling. Romans 1, 19. Because that which is known about God the Father is evident inside of them, For God the Father made it evident to them from the inside of them. Romans chapter 1, verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes, God's eternal power, and God's divine nature, his deity, have been clearly seen by all mankind, being understood even through what has been made, 
in nature, God's creative work, so that all mankind is without excuse before God. God makes himself clearly visible to human beings in ways that make sense to human beings, both from the inside of them and from the outside of them. Remember what Paul said to the jailer in Acts 16.31, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. And Paul and Silas spoke the word of the Lord, the gospel message, the good news to the jailer together with all the people who were in the house. Acts 16.33 And the jailer took Paul and Silas that very hour of the night and washed their wounds and immediately the jailer was baptized by God the Holy Spirit. He and all those in his household who also believed and they all did. Acts 16.34 And the jailer brought Paul and Silas into the house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly having believed in the God, the Lord Jesus Christ, with his whole household. So accept the invitation and heed the warning of John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life right at that moment, instantaneously. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. Wouldn't you like to spend eternity in heaven? Don't miss your opportunity. Take advantage of the good news of the gospel message right now. So the closing song, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. The word of God, especially the word of the cross, is foolishness to those who are perishing, unbelievers. But to us, believers in Christ who are being saved, the word of the cross is the power of God the Father, which is divine omnipotence in action. Because of our relationship with the Lord, there are many things we can count on. And one of those things is that the power of the cross can't be undone. Here's June Murphy (laughs) to sing, You Can't Undo the Cross.
Awesome, June. Thank you. <laughs> we close each week with a doxology. Words of worship for our almighty God. Romans chapter 15, verse 5. Now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another, to think in exactly the same way, operating in harmony, according to your union with Christ Jesus. Romans fifteen six so that with one accord, you believers in Christ may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans fifteen seven. Therefore, keep on accepting one another and keep on receiving one another, just as Christ also keeps on accepting us all in unconditional love to the glory of God the Father. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, thank you for accepting us. Thank you for letting us know that there's nothing we can ever do to undo what your son did at the cross. And what he did at the cross is he paid for all of our sins and he gave us his own righteousness and he blessed us with God the Holy Spirit to lead us into all the truth so that we could never again be lost. Thank you so much for this thing that you gave us. And thank you for helping give new meaning through the lesson today to what you mean 
when you ask it rhetorically in Romans 8.31, if God is for us and he is, who can be against us? And the answer is no one. And nothing can ever separate or sever us from your unconditional love. And we're just so encouraged by that. Help us to go out into the world and share that message with other people so that they can be encouraged too, especially during what the world is describing as these difficult times, but which are really the times that have always been in the world where unbelievers have no hope. And we ask that you continue to pour your enabling power into us so that we can give them hope, the hope of Christ. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Thanks for watching. Thanks for coming. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being the most important part of the world.